0: Hey, well, uh, Pastor Rob is in Colorado Springs today. Well, he's getting back today. He's going to be preaching tomorrow morning, but uh, just some uh, boots on the ground, eyes that were there at the Council for National Policy. Pastor Rob just crushed it. What a killer message. Everybody said it was about Christians engaging in the culture engaging in what is going on in our world. And that's really our passion here at Godspeak. If you're new to the fellowship, is we want to have a passionate, free relationship in Jesus and discovering just his power working in our personal life. But we also want to exercise our citizenship and having liberty here in our nation as we see our rights being stripped away through this crazy COVID season and what is really on the horizon for things in a greater way. And so we're going to be talking about some of these things here this evening in our message. Uh, this week I heard some encouraging reports. I was on a turning point uh, USA trip in South Dakota with Charlie Kirk and some of the crew, and he was just giving everybody a report on the cool things that the Lord is doing, because sometimes we hear a lot of bad news, but we want to hear some of that good news, that the student campuses are growing, he's got a whole lineup of universities he's going to, some of them are pretty turbulent. You know, certain places where Charlie goes, he can be totally canceled or run out of town. They, I don't know if you guys heard about the uh, seven months ago, Charlie was going to go out outside of Seattle um, and he was invited there and the uh, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, everybody rose up when they heard Charlie Kirk was coming to town. They told the pastor that if he allowed him to come that they were gonna burn down the church and they were gonna burn down the neighborhood the church was in. And uh, the pastor had a good relationship with the county sheriff, so he called him and said, hey, these are the threats. They're going to burn down our church and burn down the neighborhood if we have our special guest speaker come. And the sheriff said, hey, I believe in what you're doing, but I don't have the manpower to protect you. You're on your own. That's what's happening in Washington. It's It's unbelievable the things that are going on. This is why it's so crucial for us to engage in our culture during this time. We want to look, as we are uh, reading through God's Word, we have our uh, servants team here would love to give you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you didn't bring one tonight, just raise your hand, they'll get you one. If you don't own one, you can take that home with you. That'll be a gift to you from Godspeak ministry. And also, those who have been hanging out with us, we are reading through God's Word in two years. It's called Anchored in the Word series. You can look at it online at godspeak.com, or you can pick up one of these pamphlets out there in the lobby. And our message comes from it. When on a normal weekend, which, what is normal except a setting on a dryer for God's sake? I mean, you, you never know what's gonna happen around this place, right? But a normal, a normal weekend is I preach on Saturday night. Pastor Rob's home and he preaches Sunday morning. On Saturday night, I pick a passage, of scripture that we've been reading through in the New Testament. And he's been taking the Old Testament. When he's out of town, I have uh, free reign or vice versa. But we want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 tonight. So if you have a Bible, you're going to be opening up to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 for the, our message, The Secret of My Strength. Not the secret specifically of my strength, like I'm going to give you some secret, but a biblical revelation given to us from the incredible Apostle Paul that tells us what is the secret of his strength. And we want to tap into that because as soon as you tap into it and you understand the concept, then you can say, this is the secret of my strength. Right, You have to lay hold of it for it to be yours personally. And Paul the Apostle is going to unpack it for us, even though it's somewhat mind-blowing and bewildering to wrap your head around this incredible concept. You know, in Judges chapter 16, Delilah wants to know the secret of Samson's great strength. Now, when you see in some Sunday school curriculums, not all, but in some Sunday school curriculums, Samson is usually, looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime, right? He's just this buff, ripped Mr. Universe guy. But it doesn't tell us that he had a physique like that. It just says when the Spirit of God came upon him, Samson became supernaturally strong. And he could take anybody. He killed a 1,000 Philistines at one time. And he tore a lion apart with his bare hands. I mean, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. I I mean, I really picture him as this 90-pound weakling, right? And then God's Spirit comes on him, and he's just this fierce warrior. And listen to this. As she is going to be paid 1,100 pieces of silver, she's a prostitute. She's, uh, I mean, Samson's sweet on her. She's not so sweet on him. She just wants to get rich. It's a payday. And it says this. How can you say? Delilah says, "I love you when your heart is not with me. You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies." And it came to pass when she pestered him. I love this verse. It came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. <laughs> I don't know why that tickles my funny bones so much. This is this is a toxic relationship from the beginning. Definitely this is not an eHarmony.com moment that these two came together. Verse 17, it says that he told her, after she vexed him to death day after day, he told her all his heart. And he said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Many people say, well, you see, the secret of Samson's strength was his hair. That's not it. His hair was a symbol of his dedication to God. His commitment to God from his mother's womb, because the angel of the Lord told his mom and dad this is what needed to happen. So he'd never cut his hair. Imagine the, the curly locks this guy had, right? I mean, some long hair. But when his hair was cut off, it was a picture that his dedication to God that had been failing for a long time, he had been walking away from God for a long time, it finally arrived. Because when you take away your dedication to God and your commitment to God, you are powerless and weak like any other man. And it's true for Samson, it's true for you and I. Delilah and the Philistines wanted to know what was the key... And the secret of Samson's strength. We're going to discover what is the secret of my strength, your strength, through the eyes of not Samson, but through the great apostle Paul. Stand with me. Let's read the word of the Lord. We're going to read these first ten verses together. Here in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. It is doubtful, not profitable, for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. For such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities." "...for though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure." Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, your grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, we just ask that you would reveal to us the heart of your Word and what your Spirit, through visions and revelation and through you teaching Paul, Lord, that it might be the secret of our strength to wrap our hearts and minds around it. Lord, open our eyes now that we would see wonderful things from your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to share with you something to think about, something to pray about, and something to boast about from this section of Scripture. The first thing we want to talk about is something to think about, because Paul the Apostle now does this unusual bit of teaching in the third person. He's going to say, I know a man 14 years ago, whether in the spirit or in the body, out of the body, I don't know. He's talking about himself as he goes through this whole narrative. It's almost like he steps outside of himself to observe the situation and he wants to communicate it to people. And he he says, "I, I don't want to boast about this because, you know, visions and revelations, and especially in spiritual circles, if you have a vision or a revelation, people can think you're pretty hot stuff. And Paul the Apostle in the previous chapter had really only boasted in all of his suffering for the Lord. And we'll touch on just a verse of that. But Here, as he's now going to unfold this to us, he tells us that these visions and these revelations, that he knows this guy 14 years ago. Now just think back 14 years ago in your life. And for Paul the Apostle, these 14 years are like dog years. You know, every year is worth seven because he's been traveling the world, getting the tar beat out of him, run out of town. Paul had this process, travel to a town, preach in the synagogue, have a revival, get kicked out, get beat up, run to the next town. That was his cycle for 14 years. That was what he was doing. He was on the run. You know, there's going to be a revival in town and there's going to be a riot. First the revival, then the riot. You know, Paul's in town, right? And He says in the midst of this, though, 14 years ago, he says, whether out of the body, I do not know, or whether in the body. He's saying, I don't know if this was an outer body experience, like somehow my spirit went to heaven, or if it was in the physical, I don't know. You see, throughout scripture, we see different prophets. Uh, Specifically, Ezekiel and John uh, the Apostle had the most revelation of heaven and they wrote extensively about it, actually, John specifically. And even Ezekiel wrote about heaven and the throne of God and various things. But when it comes to Paul the poly Apostle, he does something mysterious to us. He says he was taken up to the third heaven. Now, your LDS neighbors, anybody got any Mormon neighbors? This is where they get their doctrine for the third heaven. They say there's three heavens. And... Uh, Depending on who you are, you're going to go to the first, the second, or the third heaven. If you're sealed in the temple and you go through all of their rites, you go to the third heaven. Well, a person like me that's never been Mormon, I would be on the first level, and I would have my chance to hear the gospel from Joseph Smith. He would tell me the gospel according to the Mormon gospel when I die and go to heaven because I've never been converted. Now, there's a reason, and now this is offensive to many But Mormonism is a non-Christian cult that has been mainstreamed in the best way that they possibly can, setting aside their most uh, horrendous doctrines and trying to gloss over those. If anybody wants to do some research, you could check it out. But they take this doctrine from this passage of Scripture, but to the Jewish mind, it's no such thing. There's not three heavens, at least spiritually speaking. To the Jewish mind, there's the heaven where you see the birds flying, right, just here close to planet Earth. And then there's the heavens that where the celestial heavens, we see the stars and the sun and the moon that are outside of this stratosphere. But the third heaven is the very presence of God. So there's Earth's atmosphere, there's outside of Earth's atmosphere, and then there's heaven itself. It is that heaven, the very presence of God, that Paul the Apostle is telling us that he went there, and when he was caught up there in verse 4, it tells us, he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter, of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast. So he takes us down this road, he's had visions, he's had revelations, he knows a guy in the body, out of the body, don't know, 14 years ago it happened, and he went to heaven, and Nothing. What? He said, I I heard inexpressible things that are not lawful to talk about. Dude, like you lead us up to the doorstep of this really cool, epic moment. Like, talk about a cliffhanger. When I see Paul, the very first thing I'm gonna do is ask about this passage of scripture right here when I get to heaven. And I'm like, what were you thinking? Right, how could you bring all of God's people up to that moment? We're just anticipating these really cool treasures you're going to tell us about. And he goes, nah, not awful, can't do it. <laughs> but what he's saying is his very experience that he got to go to heaven, to the third heaven, was a glorious opportunity, and he was impacted by it. He was impacted in a significant way by it, but he doesn't want to boast about that. He doesn't want to brag about that. He doesn't want to go on a, a, a book tour about his time in heaven. Now, this is the thing you have to understand about your walk with God. There are things that God is going to reveal to you, give you insight. And There are going to be those things that are for your own heart, your own soul. But it's just for you. It's not for anybody else. As a matter of fact, as you go, try to share it with other people. You just feel like the Lord, hey, that was for you. Don't, don't be talk- That's between you and me. And then there are those things that God gives you that is for everybody. Paul, the apostle writes half of the New Testament. That's for all of us. Here, this was specifically, this visit 14 years ago, whether in the body, out of the body, don't know, Paul the Apostle went and God ministered to him. Now, if there's anything that will keep fuel in the tank, no matter how tough things get, it's, it's a visit to heaven, isn't it? Right, every time, I'm doubting God. Well, I really can't doubt God because I actually went to heaven, I strolled around, I checked it out, heard some things. <laughs> I mean, there's a certain amount of confidence that would produce, don't you think? I've never been taken up to heaven and had that experience, but I think it would produce some incredible confidence. Now Paul says the only thing, and this is an insight into what is coming, the secret of his strength at the end of verse 5, he says, I'm not going to boast about any of that, the heavenly vision, except in my infirmities. And that's what he did in chapter 11. Now when would Paul the Apostle, some think that this is a life after death, and then a resuscitation took place. Because obviously that can happen, right? A, a real definition of death is the separation of the spirit from the body. And look at what Paul went through in Acts chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. He was beaten five times, 39 times each time. Three times I was beaten with rods. Those are like rat and canes that they had. Uh, lictors or you get your licks. You guys remember about 15, 20 years ago, there was an college, American college student in China that got caught doing graffiti and he was going to be caned. That's what it means. It means these rods. Basically, they swat him with a cane. I think he got two or three swats on the rear end uh, for his, his graffiti and it was going to be an international incident. This was when ben, Bill Clinton was in the White House three times i was shipwrecked a night and a day i've been in the deep paul's went through some really hard times but notice i skipped over something in verse 25 three times i was beaten with rods once i was stoned and now that's not getting high on some good hum- Humboldt weed okay for you uh stoner buddies from the past he got stoned to what they thought was to death it tells us in chapter 14 of acts they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and he ran for his life. No, he rose up and he went right back into town to preach. How do you stop a guy like that, right? You, you stone him until you think he's dead. You drag him outside of town, throw him in a gutter. Finally, when he wakes up and shakes it off, he says, let's go right back into town. The guy's an animal, right? You can't keep a guy like this down. But those things are mind-blowing to me. Something to think about. Wow, Paul's experience and how that must have been fuel for his soul, no matter what he went through, he had an absolute 100% confidence in his faith because he actually had revelation of the very presence of God. Mind-blowing. I was thinking about this with all the people over the last 30 years that I've heard about people that have died, went to heaven, and they wrote a book or there's a movie about it. I'm not saying those things aren't so. Because I mean, I'm just like, that's their experience, and and that may be true. This book here, My Time in Heaven, a true story of dying and coming back to life. I I like to read these little captions about them because I'm talking about polyapostasy. He's like, it's not lawful, I can't even talk about it. It says, is there life after death? After a tragic accident, doctors pronounce Robert Sigmund legally dead. 8 hours later, God miraculously brought him back to life on the way to the morgue. During those hours, God allowed him to experience the glorious beauties, heavenly sounds, sweet aromas, and boundless joys of heaven that await every believer. God then returned him back to earth with a mission to tell the world what he saw. You will thrill to Sigmund's eyewitness accounts of strolling down the heaven, heaven's streets of gold, seeing angels playing with children, talking with Jesus, meeting with people from the Bible, as well as departed family and friends, seeing the mansions, and much, much more. You can buy this book. The movie's coming to a theater near you. That was his experience. I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm having fun with it, but I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying... This is a book. How about this title? This one will grab you. 23 Minutes in Hell. One man's story about what he saw, heard, and felt in that place of torment. My sincere hope is that this book is the closest you will ever come to experience hell for yourself. That's a good word. Bill Weiss saw the searing flames of hell, felt totally isolated total isolation, and experience the putrid and rotting stench, deafening screams of agony, terrorizing demons, and finally the strong hand of God lifting him out of the pit. Tell them I am coming very, very soon. Now that'll get your attention. There is a real place called hell. There's a real place called heaven. Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. And without Jesus, you are destined for hell. And if nothing else, those two books are declaring simply that. Paul the Apostle is now going to take us down this road of what he really didn't want to boast about, which was his heavenly vision, and he's going to lead us to the place that he's going to share with us what he is going to boast in, and it's not the kind of things you and I boast in. As a matter of fact, it's totally paradoxical. So if the first part is something to think about, this part is something to pray about, because in verse 7 and 8 it says, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations... A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord, he prayed about it three times, that it might depart from him. Paul says, you know, I had so many revelations, so many visions, so much download that God did into my heart and my soul, so that he could be, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, be the author of half the New Testament. We have him, his name pinned to 13 books. There's only 27 books in the New Testament or letters. Paul the Apostle's name is attached to 13 of them, and some believe that he is the unnamed source of the book of Hebrews, which would make it a even 14. Now, Paul the Apostle here says that God was going to balance the blessings of how he revealed himself to Paul. He was going to balance that with some burdens to keep him humble. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I want all blessing with no burdens. I want to be a member of the bless me bless me club with no bummer. I want no drag, I want no, you know, none of the negative stuff. So, sometimes you ask yourself when you examine the life of such a great man, Paul the apostle, the, truly the greatest missionary that ever lived. God downloaded so much into him that it would be so easy to have that kind of, I mean, just imagine the the connection, the revelation, what Paul the Apostle had inside of me. We have his letters, but how much more, if you just hung out with him, would you even hear? He undoubtedly didn't write everything he knew. And yet, here he tells us. He said, God allowed to keep me humble a thorn in the flesh, which was a messenger, a demon from Satan that would buffet him or attack him or pummel him in his flesh. So there's a lot written and it's all conjecture. I love to keep it very vague. What was the thorn in Paul's flesh? It seemed to be a physical ailment or infirmity of some sort. Leave it there. And that physical ailment or affliction would come upon him. Off and on, off and on, off and on. And it was such a bummer. He prayed three times. He, Paul raised the dead. Paul healed the sick. And yet for himself, he prayed three times. And the Lord said, no, my grace is going to be sufficient for this area of your life. It's going to keep you humble. It's going to keep your feet on the ground. You're going to be a useful tool for me. And I want you to know that I'm going to give you enough grace to be sufficient without healing you, without rebuking that demonic force that is attacking me. It's crazy in it when you see somebody that's so gifted now limited by some terrible physical ailment, is it not? It's a hard thing. I don't know why I thought of Stephen Hawking, but you know, Stephen Hawking, you see the picture of him on his wedding day, a brilliant young man from. Uh, British guy, truly one of the great mathematical minds. I don't know if you, when (laughs) A Brief History of Time came out, I don't know if you read it like I did, and then I read it a second time because I really did not understand it the first time I read it. So I had to read it twice with highlighting and trying to figure out from this astrophysicist, brilliant mathematical brain, this brief history of time. But because he has ALS, and his body just slowly diminished into his wheelchair, now talking through this, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, which I've known people that have passed away. as a terrible, hard, hard thing. And yet such incredible mathematical brilliance, truly one of the, the brightest mathematical minds in the last 50 years, and yet limited by such an incredibly difficult physical affliction and ailment. And I'm not saying this has nothing to do with God, this has nothing to do with anything. I'm just simply saying, here's great brilliance and great blessing on one hand, but really limited by a really hard thing physically. And Paul the Apostle, we're not sure what his was, except that it was really awful for him. We have some hints and shades and, and shadows, if you will, that seem to point to some kind of eye ailment or some kind of eye affliction or some issue that he has, but the Lord balances that. In your life, in a much more less dramatic way, God is blessing your life. God is bringing favor to your life. God loves you. God's giving you uh provision and protection, and he's watching out for you, and he's, ble- he's dropping handfuls on purpose in your life like Boaz did to um, Ruth, and, and, and you're just enjoying it, and you're just like, oh, God's so good, and, I'm, and I was blessed with this way, and, and this happened, and the Lord opened this door, and you're so blessed, but then, but then, then the normal things in life just kind of throw some mud on the thing, thing Right? This conflict with this coworker, this issue is going on with the family. How many times have you said, my life would be perfect if it wasn't for... You fill in the blank. (laughs) And please don't nudge your spouse that's sitting next to you. (laughs) Right? Who... It's the issue that what is this thing that somehow keeps you connected to terra firma? What is this thing that otherwise you would just float into the sky in ecstasy and everybody in the world would be envious of the blessings in your life, but somehow you have problems like everybody else. And those problems like everybody else keep you humble and trusting and committed to the Lord. Now, Satan's attack was allowed by God to afflict Paul, but to keep him humble. He prayed three times that this would be removed, that that there would be a healing. This affliction in his flesh, flesh would be healed. And God said no. God said the answer, and now he has something to boast about. So we had something to think about with this mysterious heavenly vision where we get no description whatsoever and and now we have something to pray about a real hardship in Paul's life that balanced out that great revelation and vision that he had and now we have something to boast about which is nothing like you would think it would be in verse 9 and 10 he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus' words to Paul the Apostle after he prayed three times to be delivered from this thorn in the flesh, his physical affliction, his word was, my grace is sufficient for you. How many times have you prayed about something to be healed? You've got some health issue. Now, this, this is a real mystery, isn't it? Why does God heal sometimes and he does not other times? Has that ever baffled you? And there are those who say, you know, it's never God's will not to heal. If somebody's not healed, there's sin in their life, or the person that's praying doesn't have enough faith. Kind of the word of faith. I, I totally disagree with that biblically. I totally disagree with that. On one Sunday morning, we had two women come forward at church. We did what the Bible says. We anointed them with oil. The elders laid hands on them. We prayed for healing. The one woman was the wife of our bass player in our worship team. They had two beautiful little kids, a little two-year-old, blonde-haired girl, and a little four-year-old. They were just the cutest little girls. And she had ovarian cancer, and we prayed for her. And in my mind, I thought, you know, hey, this is, you just... You add things up humanly, which is not, I mean, that's just not the way it works. But I mean, here's this great family, they love the Lord, they're serving the Lord, look at their beautiful kids, surely the Lord's gonna heal. Uh, on the basis of that, you know, in my kind of mind? And the other person came up and her name was Vicky, And Vicki had a golf ball sized tumor in the center of her brain that was inoperable and she was terminal, she was gonna be dead. We laid hands on her and we anointed her with oil and we prayed for her and in my mind, why do we do this? We limit God by our humanness. In my humanness, I thought, this ovarian cancer is easy to heal. The brain tumor is hard to heal. Like, in your mind, you just think these things. I know you don't because you're perfect people of faith. But I think these things, right? Inquiring minds want to know. I'm a very curious person in my head. I'm always, like, you know, spitting through things in my, my thoughts. We laid hands on them. The Lord supernaturally healed Vicky. She had a doctor appointment the next week, went in for a scan, a brain scan, and that golf ball-sized tumor shrank to the size of a pea. The doctors, they didn't know what to do. They, I mean, they were blown away. They stopped all of her treatments. She was supernaturally healed. Years go by, I, I leave town, I'm gone there. You know, a decade later, we're coming into that town, and uh, we needed a prescription, so we, do, uh, we drive through, do a drive-through prescription at a drugstore. And who serves us? But Vicki. It's a decade later. She looks amazing. She's just, the Lord just... Just heal her. I mean, all those years later. It wasn't like, oh, it went into remission and, you know, six months. No, the Lord healed her. The other mom of the little two-year-old and the little four-year-old girls, the wife of the bass player, she was with the Lord in heaven in three months. She was gone. Why does God heal sometimes and he does not others? We prayed in faith in the same way both times. There was no sin or obvious sin that we knew anything about. You see, when healing comes, God exercises the right to be sovereign over healing. We always come in faith, praying in faith that God heals. And I have watched God heal and do miraculous, supernatural things. I believe in the power of God to heal. But does God always heal? I tell people, God always heals. Even if it's time to go home for somebody that's 32 years old, they get to go to heaven. Isn't that the most awesome healing? That's where we all want to go. I want to go to heaven and leave all my bills behind for someone else to pay. <laughs> it's what I want to do, and I'm gonna do it one day. It's gonna happen, right? So heaven is the goal for every child of God. Here the Lord tells him, I'm not going to heal you. I'm not going to remove this thorn in your flesh. I'm going to leave this condition, this situation, this affliction, this periodic visiting of the buffeting you're going through, but I'm going to give you grace that will be sufficient for you because then Jesus tells him something supernatural, which is the secret of his strength. And he says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, wrap your heart around that because... We think we got to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and be strong so God can use us. The opposite is true. You recognize you are weak and helpless. Apart from him, you can do nothing. And then he fills you with power. You see, my, my condition is I know that I'm weak. I know that I can accomplish nothing great for God. But God is big and powerful. And I face problems all the time. Big problems, as soon as I think of God's great power... I bring great praise to his name, right? Here's a problem. God's power by faith is released into the situation, and then what do I want to do? I just want to praise God. Why? Because I was weak in the situation. I couldn't fix anything. I couldn't do anything. Who gets all the glory? God gets all the glory. So in our humanness, we want to think that we have to be strong. Now, be strong in faith, be strong in grace, be strong in the things of the Lord. That's true. But have that big faith because he tells us this in verse 9. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. In my infirmities, my afflictions, my weakness, my my sickness. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you have a condition. It, It can be a place that you can glory in it so that it says, so the power of Christ might rest upon you. Literally, it means that Jesus Christ is going to pitch a tent of power over your weak, helpless life. So I would rather confess and acknowledge that I am weak and have Jesus pitch his tent of power over my life so that I can move through life in his tent of power giving him glory for the cool things that he's doing. And so I glory in that. I, I boast in that, that hey, we're, we're unable. But once you acknowledge your weakness, you acknowledge the infirmities, you rejoice in whatever the challenge is, you don't stop there, then you say, but God, you're bigger than that. By faith, we come to you, Lord. You're bigger than this. And so then, by faith, it releases his power. Years ago... We were on a, a trip to Mexico. We were in this old 1965 bus. It looked like it came from Mexico. It was multicolored. We ran out of gas. We, I mean, going to Mexico in the heat of Arizona because the gas gauge didn't work right. We had a whole busload of high school kids that we were going to minister in Mexico. We went down uh, past Mexicali. We get down. We're ministering there. And we had been ministering all week in the mud and the rain and the dust. And just, you know, kids are dropping from, with Montezuma's revenge. It's, it's terrible. And, and one day we had to have another service that night. And we were all just fried. We were on the bus and we were getting ready. We had to get out and go into the village and do these services. And there wasn't a person. I mean, all of our heads are hanging down and our hands are down. And I just told the whole bus, I said, hey, you guys, anybody got any strength? Anybody got any power? There was, no. Anybody want to even get out of that bus? You want to go out the door? No. Not one person wanted to get out of the bus. Not one. And I said, this is a perfect, this is a perfect opportunity for God to pour his power out. Because we are all weak. And so let's just pray right now. Let's tell the Lord how weak we are and helpless we are to be fruitful or accomplish anything tonight. And let's by faith trust that God and His power can pour out His power into weak vessels and do a miracle. And that's what we did. And we prayed. And even when we left the bus, even when we received it by faith, we didn't feel His power. But as soon as we got to the place and we started with the 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 whole program, we sensed this light, like the supernatural presence of God. People began to get saved. It was like it was supernatural. And when we got on the bus that night, all the way back to the camp where we were staying, all the kids did was praise God for the cool thing that he did. Because they knew they were weak and they were helpless and by faith they put their trust in a powerful God and God moved through their weakness as they released his power by faith and did a supernatural thing and that's it. When you realize you have a huge problem in front of you, you confess that. You acknowledge that. You don't do it, you know, it, to mention the problem, those who say that, that that's a negative confession. <laughs> it's not a negative confession to say this is a real problem. <laughs> but, God, you're bigger than that. Do you realize that this is what happens to our faith? By the, the sun is a ginormous, right? The, I mean, it's huge. But do you know that you can, co- you can cover the sun just by something as small as your fist if you hold up your hand? What happens is you focus on problems as your problems grow and God in your heart diminishes in size. But when you focus on God, God is bigger and your problems shrink. And so faith is released, you confess what's going on, and he says he will pitch his tent of power over your life. So Paul said I would rather boast In my weakness, I would rather boast in my infirmities, all of the lack, all of the limitations of who I am, and then confess them to the Lord and then ask His power to be poured out so that I can move forward in a supernatural way. So Paul says, he puts it into application in verse 10 Therefore, I take pleasure. Now I'm growing, but I haven't, I'm not to the place that I go, oh goody. I take pleasure in infirmities, being sick. Maybe you're struggling with sickness. In reproaches, people criticizing me. In needs, you have needs here tonight. What are those needs that you have? Financial needs, physical needs, relational needs. In persecution, people are giving you a hard time because of your faith in Christ. You're in distress. We're all in distress for the last two years of the psycho world that we live in. Right? We're in this crazy, distressing place. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Yeah, we can see all the distress going on in the world. And I would like to just glory in that for a moment to apply this to our life because there's a lot of craziness going on out there. Paul says it's all right for us to look at that craziness. Then we look to God who is much bigger than the craziness. And we're going to be filled with power to enjoy the rest of our life. Amen? So you look at it. I don't know what's been bothering you. Maybe maybe you have children. Our children, isn't this? This is a problem right now with school and what's going on in the school system. I was on a live stream yesterday with. Nicole Pearson, an attorney and she almost had to cancel our uh, podcast because parents were in this big conflict with the administration in Santa Monica over the school at the sidewalk on the in the front of the school because they weren't going to let their kids come in, they were a danger to the school because of this and that and she had to get involved with it with legal means and this stuff is going on. What about our kids? What about our jobs? If you don't have the vaccine, are you going to be losing your job? I was talking a couple of weeks ago from, with a sister in the Lord in our fellowship, and she's went through all the process. She's a nurse. She's an RN. And she's, I mean, she's been working in this field, but now the medical, she doesn't want to get this vaccine. She's like, honestly, I'm willing to segue and do something else in my career. And there's so much invested in the schooling in your career, right? And then, yes, yeah, she's willing to do something else. We had this conversation and no doubt she's praying about it. And a few days later, somebody texted me, hey, I have this job opportunity in another uh, private sector, and I'm looking for X, Y, and Z. And so I, I sent it to her, and uh, they did an interview, and she's taking that job. She's segueing, just, you know, you look at, amen. You look at, here, here's this problem, and we, you know, you don't know what the Lord's going to do, but she's willing to do whatever God wants to do. And then God just opens the door, and he just makes it happen. You see, this is just like real life that all of us are going through. Our inflation that's coming, Kroger's grocers say that uh, more fa- uh, fast, faster food inflation coming in the next several months. The skyrocketing prices at the grocery store are predictably based. Almost entirely on Joe Biden's pro-Wall Street and multinational corporation policies, Main Street is getting hammered and the working class is suffering as a direct result. We're concerned about our kids. We're concerned about our jobs. We're concerned about groceries, putting food on the table with inflation. We're concerned about our liberty when it comes to the vaccine pass to be able to go into a restaurant or uh, a concert or a football game that your kid's playing in. Up in San Francisco, they're implementing this. Down in L.A., they're wanting to implement this. We're concerned about this liberty being stripped away from us. The looming elephant in the room is the air travel COVID pass that they're uh, starting to talk about. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? About three or four months before they actually pull the trigger on something, they say they're not going to do it three or four months earlier. Right, Fauci says something about it, and Fauci recently just said, yes, I think the mandated vaccine pass for air travelers. So when they say that, then usually trailing behind about three or four months, boom, they pull the trigger on it. Our uh, racial harmony as at stake with this whole social justice, critical race theory. This is a little video that just happened this week at the University of Virginia. They designed this cultural center, and this black girl, you gotta see this clip, It's a cultural center. That means, you know, multicultural, right? No, it it means every culture, but what culture? White. There you go. Check this out. Public service announcement. Excuse me. If y'all didn't know, this is the MSC, and frankly, there's just too many white people in here. This is a space for people of color. So just be really cognizant of the space that you're taking up because it does make some of us POCs I'm comfortable when we see too many white people in here. It's only been open for four days, and frankly, there's the whole university for a lot of y'all to be at, and there's very few spaces for us, so, so keep that in mind. mind. Thank, Thank you. You're white, get out. I mean, literally, I, I joke about this. You know, Rosa Parks, who set things off in the Civil Rights Movement back in the 60s, because... If a white person got on the bus, the black people had to go to the back of the bus. And so Rosa Parks wouldn't go to the back of the bus, right? All us white folks, we're Rosa Parks. We're not going to the back of the bus. Because it's now flipped in this racism thing that is, it's bizarre. Can you imagine doing that to any other ethnic group of people and getting away with it? Any color of people. But you can get applause. And public service announcement, this room... There's too many white people in there. So I, I, it's just bizarre to me, right? And, and I've been in multicultures. I've been in 17 countries doing mission, missionary work. When I went to Uganda with Pastor Craig for eight years, I went every two years for eight years, and as soon as I'm on the street, I'm surrounded by Ugandans, and little two- and four-year-olds are going, Mazungu, Mazungu, that means some white dude's in the neighborhood, right? You're Mzungu, and <laughs> it's just this, You know, so I've traveled around the world, and just that race is a, to me, it doesn't matter what color your skin is. It matters what kind of person you are. I know white people that are total jerks that I don't want to hang out with. And I know people of color that are sweet as pie, and vice versa, right? It's all about character. It's not about the melanin in your skin. It's craziness going on. Of the border crisis, now two million people coming across in the last eight months of Joe Biden's thing. We were, I was on the podcast with Jorge Ventura, who's a citizen journalist, on Thursday. And he's actually there in Del Rio, right at, the, at a hotel, right where the bridge is. And he was just the day before on the Mexico side, which he said was really scary. Because you have to go through the cartels, checkpoints and things. And he said on the other side, we hear of this Haitian uh, group, right, coming through I was in, I don't know about what you thought. In my mind, when they said all these Haitians are coming, I thought they're just coming from Haiti immediately, coming to Mexico and coming in. No, they had been there for one to seven years in South America, Central America, and and Mexico waiting to get in. And so they have temporary residency in those other countries. They have green cards. And so he said, on the other side of the uh, river on the Mexico side, the ground is covered with green cards because they have to throw them off because they can't have temporary citizenship here and be able to walk across the river into the United States. And they were saying there were 12,000 people there. And he said, no, I'm here. And there's only 3,000 because they've let all the Haitians in. And now they figured it out because the Haitians that were families, they're uh, uh, flying them in airplanes and buses. They're sending them all over the country. And he said, they're singing, so that the Biden administration can say so, they're saying, oh, we're sending back the Haitians. He said, they send, send back single males. And so he said, now they got the game, right, If they're single males. They realize, oh, I just have to get with this girl and these kids and say we're a family as we come across. So they just play the game. And it's so troubling that our administration and our country has become so lawless. They don't care anything about the law. And then the border patrol guys with their horses tried to keep the people, and now they're whipping them with reins, which is not even the deal. Right? The very photographer that took the picture said that's not the case. So it's crazy what a lawless period of time we are in our nation. I'm, I, lo- I love immigrants. I actually love multiracial cultures. And I'm all for immigration. But we have this thing called the rule of law. You got to come the right way, right? If I'm in a foreign country and I'm a U.S. citizen and I'm there too long, what are they going to do? They're going to deport me. You can't even immigrate to Australia unless you have two million dollars in the bank. You think they're strict? (laughs) Nobody would want. You couldn't. Nobody wants to go there now because they're like Nazis. But there was a time people wanted to go to New Zealand and Australia, and now they rue the day that they had that dream. It's become a nightmare. What about the national debt with the $3.0 trillion coming? Anybody that's got a mathematical mind, right? Our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, there's no way, this is an unbearable amount of debt. People can't even wrap their head around it. (laughs) It, It's a huge amount. And then our Constitution. There was interviews this week on college campuses. People are saying, hey, do you think we should just scrap the Constitution and just, you know, start over? And they're like, oh, Yeah. 244 years of this document, an incredible document to lead our nation. And we have a socialist squad that's leading the way, AOC, Uncle Bernie, Omar, Talib, And these people literally hate our country. And somehow they were elected to office. How, how do you hate your country and then get elected to office? It means the people that are elected you also hate the country. Let's get somebody in there that can destroy our country. Is it mind-blowing? Do these things distress you the way they distress me? I wouldn't be sharing this much bad news if Paul just hadn't said, we're going to glory in distress. Let's glory together. (laughs) This is a glorious distress moment. I'm distressed. It's okay. Because here's the problems. Our God is bigger than the problems. And we're going to trust him and release faith and watch what God does. Right? We're not going to give up. We're not rolling over. We're not hiding in a corner. We're not overwhelmed. It tells us in Psalm 118, verse 5 and 6, I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. I had some room to breathe. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We need this kind of encouragement to call on the Lord in our distress and fill, be filled with faith in his greatness. In a terrible situation in 2 Chronicles 14, King Asa, Zerah, the commander of the Ethiopians, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. They were, out, they were outgunned, outnumbered, they were, they were toast before it even began. But what's the secret? The secret is to say that you're weak. Bring God into it by faith. He's strong and watch God move, right? That's what Asa does. He, he operates in this specific principle that is the secret of my strength, the secret of your strength. And it says, Asa cried out to the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Who's the people with no power? Him. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. We totally trust you, God. And in your name, we go out against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. He doesn't say, don't let them kick our tails. He says, God, we're going out trusting you, so don't let man prevail against you. That's how you keep the Lord in between you and massive problems, right? Lord, you're big. Don't let them kick your tail. You're the God of the universe. That's gonna be bad for your reputation. And we're in the same place, you guys. We are in the same place. We are outgunned, we are outmanned. They are in the places of power. They are all around us. We are surrounded by this nefarious, evil move that is demonic in tyranny and socialism headed towards communism, and it is a groundswell against liberty-loving, wonderful Americans. But people of faith can acknowledge the distress of it, invite God's power into the middle of it, and watch God work. And have peace in the midst. Amen. (laughs) Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Psalm 40, I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. There's an urgency with his prayer, and there's an urgency with our prayer. We're poor and needy, but Lord, we need your help. Psalm 56, in God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I'd like to end with... A quote from the most decorated war hero of World War II and Korea as far as Marines go. His name is Lieutenant Ger- General Lewis. His nickname is Chesty because he had this barrel chest and a uh, very erect posture for the military. He was in the military from being a private all the way up to L- Lieutenant Ger- uh, General. And uh, Poehler was in a very... St- Terrible situation. They were surrounded by the enemy. <laughs> he says, This, they're in front of us, behind us. We are flanked on both sides by an enemy that outnumbers us 20 to 1. They can't get away from us now. <laughs> he goes on to say, Great. Now we can shoot at them from every direction. It doesn't matter where you shoot, there's an enemy. <laughs> we're surrounded on every side great they're not going to be able to get away from us now no wonder he was the most decorated marine in uh, marine history 37 year career how do you stop a guy like that he's he's like paul the apostle you stone him you drag him outside the city you throw him in the gutter he gets back up and goes right back into town what's the secret of your strength is it your intellect is it your bank account? Is it your professional career? Is it the amount of your possessions? Don't you realize that they can just wipe all that out in a moment? You can have this great intellect, but now it means nothing because if you say the wrong thing, you're censored, you're shut up anyway. Right? They can silence you. You see, if our great strength, the secret of our strength, is in ourselves, we are going to be defeated because life and the powers of darkness are bigger than we are by ourselves. And so Paul realized so much that his, his strength is made perfect in weakness And the power of Christ will rest upon you when you realize your distress, your needs, whatever they are, you confess them to the Lord, you trust God to move, and He will pitch His tent of power over you like an oxygen tent of power to carry you through. And He's going to carry us through. God's people always prevail. God's people always prevail. Hey, guys, we got them right where we want them. <laughs> They're surrounding us on every side. There's, there's no way they can get away from us now with God's help and strength. We came in here all cowardly and shirking around. I hope nobody finds my me at God speak. <laughs> you know, I, uh, there's a guy I got to be careful, but I was down in Camarillo. And I was in a Home Depot, and my wife was looking for some lawn chairs. And we were in Home Depot, and somebody that I had never met came uh, rushing up to me. Hey, hey no, Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick. And he came up to me, and they went to shake my hand, and they looked both ways. <laughs> and shook my hand and said, I want you to know we've been watching. We believe everything that you're saying, but we can't come. Because, you see, I work for the county, and I know you guys are under surveillance. But we're rooting for you. There's more of us than them. There's more of us than them. Let's pray. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Pray that you would uh, take our hearts, take our lives, Lord, we are, we are distressed, we are outmanned and outgunned and they have the power in every single situation they have the, the uh, authority in all of these places of um, leadership and, and Lord we have just been loving you and loving our family and working hard at work and we didn't know that we needed to be uh, diligently watching uh, uh, what's going on in schools and what's going on in the city council and what's going on every every at every turn because they've they've been taking over the world for evil lord to rob people of freedom to control to destroy to dismantle something so good and beautiful that we've enjoyed it and people have fought for years to by whatever means they can to travel the world to somehow Cross our borders and become citizens of this great nation. And yet, Lord, when we are pinned against the wall in this tyranny, where do we flee, Lord? This America is a city on a hill of liberty and freedom. So, Lord, we pour out our our distress, Lord. We pour out our needs. We pour out our hopelessness, and we say, Lord, only you have the power. Only you have the ability. Only you can move, Lord, the mountains in front of us. And you said if we have a mustard seed of faith that we can move mountains. So Lord, we trust you. Lord, don't let man prevail against you, Lord. It's nothing for you to help those who have no power, people like us. Lord, and we want to praise you before you do it and after you do it and give you the glory because we realize that you alone can orchestrate things in such a way to bring about victory. So Lord, help us in our county, help us in our city, help us in our state, help us in our nation. We cry out to you and ask that you'd forgive us of our sins, Lord, that you'd wash us and cleanse us and raise up an army of people that love you and love liberty and love our nation. Lord, we ask for your help. And we thank you that you're faithful to help. But Lord, we're it's urgent. We need your help now, Lord please help. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As the team leads us in worship, if you need prayer, there's a prayer team that'll come down in front on both sides, either side. Love to pray for you. Maybe you have some personal needs. You just want to seek the Lord. So make your way down, and they'll uh, lay hands on you and pray for you. God bless you guys as you walk with Jesus this week. Remember, we got them surrounded.